Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is the Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us. And we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world. And everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I want to invite you again, go to mosaic.org give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners. And more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message, allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. One of the things I love about L.A. is that we get to compete with things like the Golden Globes. I I love when they have these huge events where they bring all the celebrities and the stars and they roll out the red carpet. I I I I love when they create these moments of incredible celebrity and this gala with, with blocked off streets making it impossible for us to travel. I love how they... They create blockades at intersections, line the streets with security guards, and then make sure that I'm on the other side to let me know I do not belong there. But if you've ever had a chance to peek over and had a moment you thought, I wonder, who, I wonder who's, who's there, who's making an appearance. And maybe it's Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, not together. <laughs> or Beyonce and Jay-Z together. And Kanye, (laughs) together. (laughs) It's always exciting to see who makes an appearance, but in LA, you don't have to wait for the Academy Awards or or the People's Choice. You you can just go over to Blue Bottle or go get them and and just sit down and get a cup of coffee. And and if you wait long enough, someone's going to walk in and you'll be texting a friend, guess who's here? (laughs) They just made an appearance. I just think it'd be amazing if at one of the Academy Awards, the ones that I have not been invited to, if Jesus would just crash the party and show up. Wouldn't it be great? Jesus making an appearance. You kind of wonder what they would do. I'm sorry, sir. Behind the barricade. Because I have a sense that if Jesus showed up, that they wouldn't even know what they're looking at. Because so many times we don't even know what we're looking at because we don't know what we're looking for. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus made an appearance. God made an appearance, which, by the way, is is an extraordinary stretch of of comprehension, don't you think? This idea that the creator of the universe stepped into time and space and became a created being. That God, who conceptualized the idea of humanity, became a human. 
and walked among us. I mean, one of the challenges in believing in God is that you can't see God and you cannot hear God and you cannot touch God. So it's so hard to know God. And yet those early followers of Jesus, especially this one guy named John, he really intrigues me because he walked during the days of Jesus. He saw Jesus. He, he saw God made visible. And if I saw God made visible, I think I would write about that and, and not, not try to find any nuanced way of describing that. I'm just kidding. I saw God made visible. That would be enough. You wouldn't have to be poetic or artistic or, you know, you don't have to create some kind of analogy or allegory. Just say, God made visible. I love the way John writes, too, because in his gospel, he says, oh, and there was also the disciple whom Jesus loved, a.k.a. me. <laughs> I love how John knows that he's the disciple that Jesus loved. And he had this, this close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And, and so when he writes his first letter, you would think he would open it up by saying, I saw him. I, I, I heard him. I held him. I existed in the moment in human history where God was made visible. But that's not what he focuses on. It's almost as if God being made visible was secondary to another discovery he was brought into. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he writes these words. We write to you about the word of life which has existed from the very beginning. We have heard it, and we have seen it with our eyes. Yes, we have seen it. And our hands have touched it. When this life became visible, we saw it, so we speak of it and tell you about the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made known to us. What we have seen and heard, we announce to you also so that you will join with us in the fellowship that we have with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this in order that our joy may be complete. Now, I don't know if you missed the nuance here. In, in the midst of all of his eloquence and poetic language and nuanced images, he actually doesn't move us to this epic realization that God was made visible, he, he seemed to be almost overwhelmed by another discovery. He says, I write these things to you about the word of life, which has existed from the very beginning. Here it is, he says, we have heard it, we have seen it with our eyes, we have seen it, and our hands have touched it. You go, what's it, John? He goes, oh, when this life became visible... It seems that John is more impacted by the experience of realizing that right before him, life was being made visible than it was that God was being made visible. See, I would be overwhelmed that God was made visible. I would write about that the rest of my life. Whether it was in a cafe or at a gala event, if God showed up and suddenly the one that I could not see or hear or touch was made manifest and somehow translated himself, and I saw God made visible. I would tell you about that the rest of my life. But John, who was there, John, who walked with Jesus, John, who saw God take on flesh and blood, goes, <laughs> that's not what 
has left this indelible impression on me. That's not what I need to tell you about. What I need to tell you more than that I saw God made visible is I saw life made visible. See, I think the reason we're we're underwhelmed by that is because we think we see life all the time. But there's a, a language problem here, which is what I want us to focus on. See, I... I hope that in this year, we would be committed to seeing life made visible. That we would realize that, that there's so much more than just believing in God or having a faith. That the journey that God wants to take us on isn't a journey from unbelief to belief, but a journey from death to life. But, but the challenge is a linguistic challenge. God is using the same words we use with a different meaning. You ever have that happen to you? I, I thought about when, when I immigrated here from El Salvador, there are some things that, that people in my family had never experienced that are hard to communicate. Most of them were actually food products. How do you explain jello to a person who's never experienced it? It's sort of like rubber, but you can eat it. Hot dogs, how do you explain to the rest of the world why you would eat something that later people would say 100% pure beef? What is a hot dog? And why do we eat anything with dog in it? There are certain things that are just so hard to describe. Well, you see, for me, one of the challenges I remember when I went, when I went to get my master's degree is I, I moved to Texas. I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and, and I met all, all, I had all these new Caucasian friends, and... And in their mind, every person who was Latino or Hispanic was Mexican. They never really heard of any other country. It's like, oh, you're from Mexico. And they go, no, no, I'm from El Salvador. They go, oh, what part of Mexico is that in? And, it's a... <laughs> and no matter how much I tried to explain to people, they just would tell me, oh, yeah, but you're Mexican. They go, no, no, I'm, I'm, it's a, I'm from a place a little south of Mexico. Oh, South Mexico. And like New Mexico, South Mexico. And... And so they wanted, we were going to all get something to eat, but they wanted to make me feel at home. So they took me to a Mexican restaurant. Now, I was in my 20s, and I had never tasted Mexican food in my life. I didn't know what Mexican food was. And when we got to the restaurant, we're sitting down looking at these menus, and, and there's a linguistic issue because they use some of the same words that, that I use, but they mean different things. See, when you're from El Salvador, when you say quesadilla, it means one thing, but when a Mexican says quesadilla, it means a different thing. They're both great, but they're not the same. I think a Mexican quesadilla is like two tortillas with some cheese in the middle of it. But a Salvadorian quesadilla is a work of art. <laughs> it's, it's like cornbread with extra love. So when I had a Mexican quesadilla, they went to happen to this quesadilla. Somebody fell asleep on the job. And, and in El Salvador, we have tamales. And in Mexico, there are tamales, but our tamales have never met. Because I'm telling you, a Salvadorian tamale, when they said we have tamales, I don't care, I, I know tamales. And, and you see, in El Salvador, tamales are, are wrapped up in banana leaves because they need to be wrapped up in love. You can't even make Salvadorian tamales without banana leaves. It's not possible. And our masa is soft. It's, it's juicy, it's delicious, and, 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 it's, and the tamale is large. It's a tamale that says, you deserve me. Uh, 
inside of there are chunks of, of food, chunks of potatoes and, and meat, and, and it, it's just an experience all of, on its own. And, and, and with, with all respect, when I first had a Mexican tamale, I said, what happened? <laughs> it, it, it's very small. It's, 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 in, it's wrapped up in corn husk, and the masa is like more strong-willed. And they're less generous with the things inside. And like, this is not a tamale. They go, this is a Mexican tamale. I said, no wonder we have so much salsa. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, I love Mexican food, but I can tell you that first day I was in that restaurant... And all these Caucasians that had all this Mexican food experience, I had none. They were just shocked. You've never had Mexican food. How's that possible when you're from El Salvador? (laughs) And they called the owners of the restaurant over. They were this wonderful Mexican family. And they overheard the conversation. They said, you never had Mexican food? I said, no. You speak Spanish? You never had Mexican food? Nunca. Like, this is incredible. I was like, I was like some alien species. And, and they started ordering for me. They started ordering enchiladas and tamales and something called chile rellenos. And, and, all the, and they just kept bringing food after food. I said, no, never had that. Never had that. Wow, that's different. Never had that. This is all good. And I realized I was going to get fat really fast. <laughs> it's so good. But there was a language issue. When I said tamale, they did not mean Tamale. When they said enchilada, I did not understand what enchilada was. And I think God has a language issue with us because when he talks about life and when we talk about life, we're not talking about the same thing, but we're using the same words. And I think this is the dilemma when, when John says, and the word of life has always been. And he walked among us and life appeared. So what, what he's trying to help us understand is that what we've come to understand as life is not life. We call it life because what else can we call it? Existence. But if God were describing what we call life, God would go, oh, that's not life, that's existence. And then when maybe God felt a little more comfortable with you and knew you a little bit better, he goes, well, I wouldn't really call it existence, I would call it death. Because what you call life, God calls death. Because it is so contrary to the wonder of life. But when you only exist, and you exist in this space where we're actually dead in our core. And God goes, oh, life is so different than this. You go, no, no, we have life. See, what I hope for us is that we this year, that every one of us, that every one of you would live fully alive. I, I want you to do other things. I want you to have greater courage, greater faith. I don't want you to lean into a future with more confidence, more intention. I, I hope this year you'll, you'll, you'll pray more, that you'll read the scriptures more, that you'll realize we do this every week, <laughs> that you'd under, understand what it means, 7 p.m., There's so many things I hope for you. But those things are secondary to the reality that if you're not alive, it's just like placing ornaments on a dead tree. See, what I hope for you is that you would live fully alive this year. That you would realize that the journey that Jesus wants to take you on is not a journey from unbelief to belief, but a journey from death to life. 
I, I thought about what paralyzes us in this life. And I, I think fundamentally there are only two fears. The fear of dying, which can be very paralyzing. And the fear of living, which can be even more paralyzing. See, I think some of us are paralyzed by the fear of dying. We're afraid to die. So we have all these phobias, which give so many people job security. Because we spend our lives in therapy because we are paralyzed by our fears. And we're so afraid of dying, and so we don't get on planes, and we don't go out in the crowds, and we don't take any risks. But we're also terrified of living. And so there's this tragedy because we're these eternally constructed temporal beings. We know we come from dust. Every day we have proof that we're going to return to dust. And so we know that, that we're time-dated. And so we see things from a false view of reality. We think that life and death and afterlife is a linear reality. But life and death are not linear realities. They are trans-dimensional realities. See, the reality is that we can exist in this moment together and one person can be fully alive and one person can be drowning in death. And we're so confused about where death is supposed to be posture. See, as long as death is in front of you, you will live your life afraid of dying. See, what, what God wants to do is he wants to put death behind you. See, when you recognize that what God has come to do is to bring you to life, to bring you fully alive, then you realize when you've come to life that God took you out of death into life. See, death is not in my future. Death is in my past. Death is so last year. And life is the only thing on the agenda going forward. Some of us, we settle for existing. We settle for survival. Because we're so afraid of dying and so afraid of living. That we live our lives with these false constructions that failure or rejection can somehow steal from you your life. But when you're alive, death has no power over you. See, once you're alive, you're facing life from a completely different posture than you faced it when you were dead. And so John writes, we have heard it and we have seen it with our eyes. Yes, we have seen it and our hands have touched it. And when this life became visible, his name was Jesus, by the way. And what Jesus did more than even allowing them to see God, he allowed them to see life. It's one thing to look at Jesus and see God and go, God, I cannot believe you're this beautiful. God, I finally get it why I should trust you with my life. I, I finally see who you are. But Jesus came to do so much more than that. He not only came so that we could see who God is, he came so that we could see who we are and who we are meant to be. And when Jesus entered the room, they saw life like they've never seen it before. One of the things I love during the holidays is I, 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 I love shopping for people I love. It's just so much fun. But it's always interesting when you go in and you start talking to all the, the seasonal employees who know less about the store than you do because you've been there before. 
And they're so anxious because people are unkind during the kindest season of the year. And I was in one of the stores, and you always end up eventually in some kind of conversation, at least I do. And, and so when I'm buying something, I'm in a conversation, the person says, so what do you do? And I say, I'm a writer. So what do you write? I say, I write books about creativity and spirituality. They go, oh, that's interesting. They go, not only that, but I'm the pastor of a church called Mosaic. Whenever I say that, you kind of feel a stillness. You wonder, okay, how, how are people going to react? But in this one store, when I said, I'm the pastor of a church called Mosaic on Hollywood Boulevard, the person just almost jumped out of their skin. Said, I knew it! I knew it! You, you have this energy. There's this energy just coming out. I could just feel all this energy. I knew you were a spiritual person. You have all this energy. And I went, yes, I do. <laughs> See? I'm done denying it. He's like, no, I don't have this energy. I do. It's called being alive. See, when you are fully alive, you become different. And people will call different things. In this other store, the girl goes, you have this amazing aura. It's like blue and green. I said, I know. You should see what I can do with colors. He said, I understand what's going on here. They don't have a language to describe what is happening in that moment. But what's actually happening is that their soul knows that they're existing and they're being drawn toward life. And they use all kinds of language, but you shouldn't be put off by the language. You say, yes. I'm glad you noticed that. Because there was a time I didn't have this energy. There's a time my colors were different. There was a time where I was not alive. Now, what I hope for you is that this year you would be fully alive. See, I, I know you're talented. I, I know you're brilliant. I know you're gifted. I know you have been waiting to be discovered, and the world does not yet recognize your genius. And I know this, but this may be hard for you to embrace, but there are smarter people than you. Okay, let that sink in just for a moment. <laughs> there are more talented people than you. Don't go and call your mom. Say, Mom, I thought you said I was the most talented person in the world. <laughs> well, you are you're the most talented person in her world. <laughs> you know why? Because you're always going to find people as talented as you or more talented. More gifted than you or, or as gifted. More intelligent than you or as intelligent. And, and, and we live in a world where, where human beings have so much talent so much gifting and so much skill and so much intelligence and we shouldn't be afraid of that we should celebrate that but if you want to be rare be fully alive because we live in a world where most people exist and do not live and he goes on and says this life that became visible so we saw it and he says so we speak of it and tell you about the eternal life which was from the father and was made known to us and I hope this year brings a year where we are fully alive. Where what we become known for is that this is the place where people come to life. That when they meet people from Mosaic, they go, there's something about that person. They're just, they're just so present. 
They're filled with hope and meaning and intention and joy. Their life is an explosion of love and celebration because you're alive. But I hope that life would be your life story. So John says, so this is what we have to talk to you about. And so we speak of it and tell you about the eternal life which was from the Father and was made known to me. Say, I, I saw it, I heard it, I touched it, but I was transformed by it. And this life that I came to know, this life is now my life. And I need to tell you that we are now in a different life story. See, I, I hope that this year you begin to share your life story with the world. And you realize that you have a story worth, worth telling. And a story worth living. December 26th is always a confusing day. Because the 25th is so epic. And then there's the 26th. All the gifts have been opened. Everyone's kind of gone back to their thing. And depending on how your family frames things, Kim is ready to throw out the tree. And we're holding on. For every last ounce of Christmas we can squeeze out of that poor dead bush. But we, we had a special idea this 26th. See, you may not know this, but the, the people on the pastoral staff here who serve you, they do not get paid well. I'm just going to say that. They are here because they love you and are so committed to you. But they make huge sacrifices. And I'm kind of okay with it when they're single. Like, I don't care that my son's broke. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Jamar, it's okay. He's still single. You know, I like, you know. But then they get married, and then I start feeling kind of bad. Go, man, now they're married and they're broke. <laughs> that poor girl, she must love him. And, uh, <laughs> right. and, and then they go out and they have children. Like they can afford them. <laughs> like, I know it says be fruitful and multiply, but being really literal. A lot of humans being born around here. And then they have two. So many babies being born, they have to start naming them after colors. <laughs> Running out of options. Pretty soon they're going to be named after mathematical formulas. This is pie. <laughs> kind of a cool name, I, I, I think. You could just make the middle name 3.141719. I <laughs> And so one of the things that Kim and I thought we could do is we, we could help try to alleviate a little bit of that by, you know, when we have a car and let's take that car and give it to a staff person. And, we, and there's several people we really wanted to help and serve and just love on a little bit. And we had to put them in priority order. And so we said, okay, we're going to pick one. So the only thing that we own that's only in Kim's name, I have nothing that's in my name. Everything's in our name except for Kim's car. The Lexus is in her name. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I guess that was her getaway vehicle in case she needed it. And, uh, but the Lexus is in her name only. And so I, I, I went to Kim and I said, I have an idea. Uh, you know, because I feel like I have like the gift of giving, and, and, but it wasn't my car. And so I, I said, honey, why don't, why don't we give your car away? And she thought it was a great idea. So we kind of thought about it and prayed about it. And, and we thought, okay, this is who we're supposed to give the Lexus to. So I was so excited. 
So I went and got it appraised and how much it was worth. And, and, and then I went and got it detailed so it looked brand new. Right? Take care of it because you want to give the gift in the best condition possible. And, and then I text the young couple from our pastoral team. And, and I was being so sneaky. I said, Kim needs your help. Please come to the house now. I didn't even know what they were doing. <laughs> and just like all of our team, he immediately responded and said, what do you need? How can we help? I said, driving, no details, just go to the house. Kim needs you. Then they went. I, I don't even know what they left. I hope it wasn't something serious. <laughs> and they went to the house. I thought, this is going to be so cool. I'm driving the Lexus home. It looks so beautiful. I'm four blocks from the house. Just driving so slowly and so carefully because it's not mine anymore. It never was. <laughs> and this white Mazda comes speeding through the stop sign around 50, 60 miles an hour and careens into the Lexus and smashes it to pieces. And the three guys in the Mazda get out of the car and run and leave their car. And I finally am able to get the seatbelt off, and I'm fine, by the way. <laughs> Other than feeling like I got hit by a car. But, uh, and there I am at the intersection with all the fluid just oozing out of the car. The engine has been cut in half. And there comes Kim with the couple. And I, I've had a really challenging December. But nothing I have faced this December has made me want to cry. But when I saw them and I looked at the car, I actually started to cry and I had to stop and pull it back. And then I had to just make a joke out of it and I said, this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> what else can you do? And, and, and then the ambulance came, and Kim wanted to make sure. I went off in the ambulance. I said, I'm not going off in the ambulance. And the, the two guys in the ambulance are over there, like, checking my blood pressure and making sure, are you hurt? I'm going, no, I'm okay, you know. And, and they go, are you sure? And I, and I said, you know, take my wife. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, she's more distraught than me right now. And, and I thought, well, since we're here and there's police here, and in the middle of my life story, I might as well just tell everybody about Jesus. So I just started talking to the police officers about Jesus. And because and, they were like, well, you know, at least it's just the car. Cars can be replaced. And I go, I know. In fact, in fact, I know that so well. Let me tell you how I know that. And so I just started telling them about Jesus in my life and about who God is in my life. And, and it was just, and, and when I said, you know, by the way, it was funny. I was driving to give this car away when it got destroyed. And he goes, I know, your wife already told us. And, uh, and, and, and I had this thought, why in the world would you, God, allow something so bad to happen on the way to do something good? Have you ever had that thought? God, I, I'm trying to do something good, and you let something bad come crashing into my life. And in that moment, it was just so clear to me, Erwin, if you wrote your life story, it would be so boring. There'd just be no twists and turns no ups and downs. Everything would just sort of keep moving forward. I'm just a better writer than you. And 
I've invited you into my story, and you've said yes, and I want you to live your life story. So I'm going to bring things into your life that are going to come unexpectedly so that your story becomes more powerful and more profound. And, and then I remembered something that we committed so many years ago. That if, look, if you're ever trying to do good and it feels like you just get absolutely wrecked in the process, do not shrink back from doing that good. Step up and do even more good. Because I, I don't usually talk to you about like the devil and things like that because I think most of the times we're our own devils. We just destroy our own lives. No one really needs to help us. <laughs> but, but let's say if there are like forces at work. Let's say that in this moment, those were the forces of evil sending that Mazda with three guys who were probably not sober, careening through a stop sign because the forces of evil were determined to stop us from doing this generous act of good. The best way to ruin the strategies of all darkness is to lean in and do even more good. So they go, we better back off from that person. Because if we try to bring them down when they're doing good, they're just going to get back up and do more good than they planned before. Yeah. What is the story that you are telling with your life? We want people to see God in us, but we don't want to go through the train wrecks and the crashes and the crises and the pain. We don't want the scars and the wounds that allow others who are scarred and wounded to resonate with our story. See, no one is going to be drawn to God when you say, yeah, I just can't explain it. I was driving and the car went right through my car to the other side. Not a scratch. Car's fine. Go, I don't know. Never had that happen before. See, no one's understanding. I've never been sick. Never had any pain. Don't have a single wound. Don't have a scar. Never been hurt. Never been betrayed. Never lost that love. Never been brokenhearted. None of that stuff's ever happened to me. There's no one who's going to be brought into your story. But when you realize that you're in a bigger story and you are proof of life and you are fully alive and you bring life into your life story, then you have a story that others need to hear and will be brought into. I was over on La Brea shopping at American Rag and, and looking, doing some last minute Christmas shopping. And Whenever I walk in, there's always a different experience. But this time I walked in and, and this guy goes, you're, you're. You're Pastor Irwin, which I think is funny when someone says that, as if I'm like always Pastor Irwin. I'm the Pastor Irwin of American Rag. Just thought about that. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm Irwin. And, uh, and, I, and I said, have you been to Mosaic? And he goes, yeah, I've been to Mosaic. I said, are, are you going to give me a discount? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but what, what, what wasn't happening. So, uh, and I said, well, how, how long have you been coming to Mosaic? And he goes, I've only been there twice. I thought, well, that's great. That's really good. And he goes, the first time I went, I heard you. And I, I, I thought I felt good about that. He goes, oh, but, but I'm an atheist. And oh, okay. I said, well, you came back a second time. He goes, yeah, the second time I heard another guy. And he got really excited, more excited than when he said he heard me. So I said, oh, okay. And he goes, you know, it's another guy. He goes, he's tall. He looks like this. And he goes, oh, you're talking about Emerson. He goes, yeah, that guy. Man, I heard his story. I, I'm sorry, I'm not an atheist anymore. I'm an agnostic. 
Oh, you're an atheist with me. So now you're an agnostic with Emerson. Wait till you hear Joe Smith. You're going to come to believe, then you're going to hear John Rallo, you're going to be baptized. Then you're going to meet Lawrence Fudge, and you're going to start giving. I mean, it's all going to happen. It's just going to go in full circle here. But be careful not to meet my wife. You can end up in Africa or somewhere. You <laughs> see, our story brings others into the story of God. And a lot of times people think that the journey is from what I believe or do not believe to what you believe and you want me to believe. See, I think a huge part of the problem, I think a huge part of the reason we never bring in people to our story and we never share our story is that if you're not fully alive, you have nothing to offer the world. What's the point of arguing beliefs if you're both dead? What's the point about arguing religion if you're both existing? See, what is the point of being right if you're not alive? It's only life that humanity needs. They don't need your judgment or condemnation. They don't need my sense of rightness. What they need to know, is there anyone out there who's alive, who's found this thing called life, and can they help me find it for myself? And so he goes on and says, what we have seen and heard, verse 3, we announce to you also so that you will join with us in the fellowship we have with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We just keep getting this thing wrong. We keep arguing with people about what's right and wrong and what's good and bad and what's true and false. And what we need to be talking about is how to come to life. He says, this is why we're declaring this to you, so that you might join with us in fellowship with this life. My hope, my prayer, my dream, my longing for this year is that you and I, that we would be fully alive. That this would be the marker of who Mosaic is. That life would be our life story and that you would begin to bring people into your story of coming to life and living in life. But it's also that all of us together would realize that life always produces life. And that if you have found a spirituality that is just about yourself, it is not the life that Jesus brings. The life that Jesus brings always produces life in someone else because they've been impacted and influenced and touched by your life. See, you become life made visible. And people are drawn toward that. Christmas season was so crazy. L.A. was vacant. It was empty. I don't know where you went, but the Midwest must have been packed. The center of the country was starting to drop. And L.A. was just empty. It was so nice not to have you here. I mean, it came out the wrong way. I mean, I, I, it was so nice to not have cars on the streets and highways. Did, did you drive them? It was so amazing. Did you know you can get to Pasadena in 15 minutes? I didn't know that. I didn't even know it was possible, but it is possible. I mean, I was just driving highways, going down third. LeBray going, you're mine. I'm just enjoying the streets, owning the streets. It was so amazing. It's good to have you back, by the way. It is good. 
But on Christmas Eve, we, we had gatherings here for those who were still in town. And it was amazing. We had a couple of thousand people come. And it was, it, you know, it's Jesus night, Christmas Eve. So I thought, it's all the people who already believe. But I thought, well, I'll still ask people if they want to give their lives to Jesus because it's what we do. It's, it's, it's important. But I have to be honest with you. I was kind of going through the motions thinking everyone here already believes in Jesus. But I still did it. And then I was shocked that almost 200 people gave their lives to Jesus on Christmas Eve. And, no, it's awesome. And almost 100 of them in our midnight mass. Like, where have you been? How did you just get here? And then after it was over, this woman came up to me, and she was really sane. Like, you know, I, I meet a lot of crazy people, but she was just so sharp. And I asked her, where do you live? She goes, I live in Bel Air. And I said, how'd you start coming? And she just kind of told me some of her story. And she said, I just want to tell you something. I said, well, what, what, what is it? She goes, last year on Christmas Eve was my first time at Mosaic. She goes, and on Christmas Eve, my first time at Mosaic, that's when I gave my life to Jesus. I was meeting someone who actually had that experience on Christmas Eve. And she goes, and I've been coming ever since. And I said, right in the front. And she's what I wanted to tell you was that as meaningful as that was last year, when you did that tonight, something inside of me just swelled up because I knew what was happening in their lives. What was happening in their lives was what happened to me last year. You see, she came to life, and she knew that they were finding life, and it was overwhelming for her. And I don't ever want us to get to that place where we forget that people are struggling every day. They're existing they're drowning in loneliness. They have no place to belong. They wonder if they're loved. They feel as if they're insignificant. They live their lives as if they were invisible. There are people all over the city, and they're so good-looking, and they're so beautiful, and they look so together. But inside of their hearts, they're broken and empty and wounded and longing, and they need to know how to have life. And that's our stewardship. That's our gift. But you can only give life away when you're alive. And I wonder, who has God brought into your life so that they can actually experience life through you and come to know his life that he gave to you? And then the last verse, it's so curious to me. He says, we write this in order that our joy may be complete. That's one of those phrases, that's one of those verses, when I read it, I think that's, that's not right. I know you're not supposed to say that when you read the Bible. But I look at that and think, wait a minute, we write this in order that our joy may be complete? No, it's supposed to say we write this in order that your joy may be complete. See, it seems like he should be saying, we found life, we've come alive, we're, we're free from death. We know what it means to live. We no longer exist. And now we want to bring you into this life so that your joy can be complete. But he says, so that our joy can be complete. And I am absolutely convinced it brought them joy when they came to life. But what John is actually saying is, is what brings us joy, the motive of our life has changed. See, there has to be a shift in your life where you're not in this for what you can receive, but you're in this for what you can give. There, there has to become a shift. I meet so many people 
who, who go from church to church, from place to place to, to see where they can get their needs met. And there, there has to come a certain point in your life where you go, okay, I, I know that I have needs that need to be met, but, but in the end, what I need to make my life about is not what I receive from others, but what I bring to others. And it needs to become a source of joy. Aaron found this on, I think it was Facebook today. Somebody I don't know named Burton Robinson. I, I became a follower of Jesus in 1978, August 20th. I remember the night. I, I went back to college to Elon University that at that time was Elon College. When I went home for the summer, I was the atheistic, agnostic mystic who did not believe in God, who started an organization called 100 Proof, whose only mission was to destroy the happiness of anyone in a fraternity. <laughs> I had such purpose. And I came back as an intensely passionate follower of Jesus. I was baptized the day before I went back to college. And this guy writes this on Facebook. Irwin led me to Christ in 1978 at Elon College. I've been a pastor for 26 years now. Never can thank Irwin enough. And when I heard that, Burton, I, I, I wish I remembered you, but I don't. Because that, that moment in my life was like a blur. I was so new in this whole thing. I, I didn't know anyone came to Jesus through my life. In fact, my life was a, a train wreck. It was like a runaway train with Jesus attached to the top. <laughs> I, I would expect more posts of going, I met this guy Irwin. He said he found Jesus. And he left me broken and wounded on the side of the road. But I'm going... If someone could actually find God when I was a follower of Jesus by just a few weeks or months, it doesn't say much necessarily about me. It just tells you how desperately people need life. See, I pray that this year, that our, our mission, our intention would be to make bringing life our joy. That we would be willing to make every sacrifice necessary so that one more person could come to know the life that Jesus has for them. That we would be inconvenienced, that we would be willing to be uncomfortable, that we would be willing to risk everything so that this city would never wonder if it is loved. Not everyone will open their hearts to Jesus. But I want everyone to know that Jesus' heart is open to them. I pray that we would make life visible. That people would be just standing at the doors trying to get in because they know that here life happens. That you can come in dead and you can leave alive. You can come in existing, but you can leave with intention and meaning, you can come in alone, but you will not leave alone. You will leave with a community 
This is our gift. Let's make this our mission. Let's stop fighting about the things that don't matter. And let's be givers of life to a world so desperately needing to come to life. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Mosaic Podcast. As God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I want to encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God, and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I want to encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver, become a part of what God's doing across the world. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles. Mosaic is all of us working together. Thank you.